0: Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 6. Continuing our study through the book of Romans, we'll begin our reading from Romans 6 verse 14 all the way to the end of the chapter. We're going to read God's word this morning under the heading of, who is your master? Who is your master? God or sin? From Romans chapter 6. Let's give our attention now to the reading of God's Word, beginning in verse 14 of Romans 6. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if a person, or that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves... For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and to its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we want to end at the end of this, add at the end of this, hallelujah. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, this week I came across the story of a U.S. Air Force pilot who was captured and taken to prison in Hanoi during the war in Vietnam. As many of you know, the Vietnam War was one of the most brutal wars in our country's history. And the pilot records that he was a prisoner of war for six years. During that time he was a prisoner, he endured unimaginable horrors. He tells us that he had a painful spinal fracture that went untreated. He broke both of his feet, broken teeth, kidney disease, and he includes, I was tortured to the point where I wished I would die. But imagine with me this morning the joy he must have felt when he and his fellow prisoners, after six years, and that plane took off their salvation. The majority of these men were kept in solitary confinement. Think of the joy they would have had when they saw their wives' faces again, faces of their children, their friends they were whisked off to a hospital where their ailments could be treated the delight they would have had in having an american cheeseburger these men were and should always be considered as heroes right but would we not consider them fools if they decided to go back to the prison in hanoi what would you think if one of these men says, I preferred the brutal conditions of prison rather than the, con- the conditions of a hero. This is the kind of question we need to keep in the back of our minds as we consider Romans 6, for indeed, we too have been released from prison. Indeed, we too have been in bondage and oppression, and we are free, but we are tempted to go back to the dungeon tempted to go back to being enslaved. Like the Egyptians in in the wilderness on the way to the promised land as they remembered the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic, and said, we want to go back to Egypt. Even though Egypt means returning to bondage and slavery. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are justified. You are free from bondage. You are free from Satan. You are free from sin. You are free from death. We have been set free. Not free so that you can return to prison. Free so that you can serve the Lord Jesus. That we can serve our Master. That's our theme for our time together this morning. Slavery to righteousness replaces slavery to sin. Slavery to righteousness replaces slavery to sin. And I want to show you this in three points together this morning. Point one, we are all slaves to something. Point two, we have a new master and then point three, the slave's wages. That slaves to something, a new master, and slaves' wages this morning. Paul has just finished teaching us, look at verse 14, that we are not under the law, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but you are under grace. God's law demands perfect obedience. If you want to stand before God on the basis of the law, you must be as perfect as God is perfect. The book of Leviticus tells us that. Be holy as God is holy. But the punishment for failure is quick. And it's severe. John Bunyan gives an illustration in the Pilgrim's Progress of the severity of the law when he says he was on the road to the celestial city, Christian was on the road to the celestial city, and a man came to him as swift as the wind and began to beat faithful to a pulp. And the man cries out, mercy, mercy. And the man who's beating him responds, I know not how to show mercy, for I am Moses. And I do not know how to show mercy to those who transgress." the law So when Paul says we're not under the law He's saying we're no longer subject to the savage beatings of Moses We are no longer trying to earn our way to heaven which we can't do It's condemning power Its power to condemn you has been removed in Jesus Christ We are not under the law we're under grace and grace isn't about your ability to perform. Grace isn't about earning your salvation or even holding on to salvation. Grace is about accepting the King of Grace. Repenting and trusting in him. What Paul is saying in Romans 6:14 is that its condemnation, the law's condemnation, the law's curse have been removed in Christ. So the question that's being asked in verse 15, this frames this this question here, verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? You might ask this morning, is this not the same question that Paul asked in verse 1? Flip back there to chapter 6, verse 1. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Is it the same question? I think it actually changes ever so slightly Because in chapter 6, the first half of chapter 6, the question is, if God's grace is so great, can we not sin? Whereas the second half of Romans chapter 6 is, what's the motivation for obedience? Why should we obey if it's condemnation, if it's power is gone? Let's contextualize this, and I have a question for you. If you never had to worry about being pulled over, would you follow the speed limit? Gotcha. If the president says, I will pardon all of your crimes if you just say sorry, there'd be more rule breaking, right? The question of verse 15 is if the condemning power of the law has been fulfilled in Jesus, why obey the law at all? What's the motivation? Do we have to obey the Ten Commandments? Do we have to pray? Do we have to read our Bibles? What is the motivation for the Christian life? And Paul turns to one of maybe the most unlikely answers we could think of. He says, you should obey because you are a slave. Seven times in Romans 6, Paul calls us slaves. And when he is speaking of slavery, he's not referring to antebellum Southern American slavery when a young person was stolen from the land of Africa and brought to Southern America and sold at the auction block. But the most common form of slavery in the ancient Roman world is called indentured servitude. A voluntary selling of yourself to a master who would provide food, shelter, protection, provision. They would give them what they need to live a life, but the slave would give total devotion to the Master. That was the exchange. I will give you food, clothing, protection, education, all your provision, you give me complete and utter service. And so when Paul's using the word slave, he's not referring to people who are forced to serve the master, but people who are devoted to their masters. And Paul uses this analogy because every single one of us is devoted to something. Every single one of us in this room is devoted to something. Look what Paul says, verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey? Either of sin, which leads to death. We all know what Paul is talking about. Sin has a tendency to enslave the sinner. Think about parents, the first time your child lies. Your child is horrified, right? I should never have lied to mom and dad. But do they feel that same way the second time? Maybe they're a little bit shaken. And then by the third time, lying seems natural. It becomes easy. And it's the same way with other sins. The first time we realize we shouldn't do this, the second time, it's not so bad, the third time it becomes part of us. When we live in sin, we eventually become enslaved to sin. Jesus said it this way, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Here's what I'm trying to say. Everyone has a master. Everyone devotes themselves to something. Paul says maybe it's someone. Maybe it's a cause. Maybe it's a goal you have in life. You obey it. You take direction from it. Whatever controls you, congregation, is your Lord. So I want to ask you a question What motivates you? What is the Lord of your life? Do we enslave ourselves to our reputation? and we live in service of it because, and become angry when someone damages it? Do we enslave ourselves in our power, holding on to it at all costs? Do we enslave ourselves with pride of family, becoming slaves of knowledge, work, success, beauty, romance, love, sports, sex, and give total devotion to these things so that they control the aspects of our life? Paul is saying the question is not, do you serve something, but who do you serve? We are all slaves to something. Paul says you can be a slave to something else. And the other option is you can be a slave to God. Do you not know that if you present yourselves as obedient slaves, which leads to righteousness... He is making what I'm going to call a stupefying point here this morning. You are released from slavery to be enslaved again. God releases you from the slavery of sin to be His slave. The motivation of a Christian life is that we have been freed from slavery to be God's slave. But not the slave in the same sense as the slave to sin. Because sin, we learned last week, is a brutal taskmaster. Sin doesn't care about you. Sin doesn't care about your family. It doesn't care if it destroys you, steals your kids, wrecks your life. It's a brutal master. But to be a slave of righteousness is to be a slave of a master who loves you. He loves you so much that he would go into the slave pits and he would take you out of there and bring you into his home and seat you at his table and treat you like a son, treat you like a daughter, clothe them in this righteousness and that all of this is to lead us to serve him, to love him. The motivation, Paul says, to obey God isn't that the law beats me up. The motivation to serve God is that I love him because he loves me. I serve him because he's a good master, he treats me well, he makes me a son. So, are you a slave? to sin or to God young people be aware this is a word of application sin tempts you by saying come and enjoy me for a moment and see if you like it and if you don't you can throw it off but its aim is to keep you in its chains It will hold on to you for the rest of your life. Beware of sin's lies. Come enjoy a little bit of alcoholism. Come enjoy a little bit of lust. Come enjoy a little bit of vanity and see how it treats you. And next thing you know, you're struggling for 20 years. Beware of its power. Beware that sin also wants to tempt you to be a slave of good things. Our Lord isn't always what is evil. Our Lord can be a good thing that's turned into something evil. Countless people are slaves to their work. Countless people are slaves to their jobs. You even hear pastors who are slaves to their reputation, to their congregations. We can become slaves of bad things when we're not seeking to serve the Lord. So you can either be a slave to sin, or you can be a slave to God. I want to show you our new master and our second point. And I want to use a modern analogy this morning. As many of you know, I I love baseball. And I don't want to hear anything about how the Tigers no-hit the Blue Jays yesterday. But in modern sports, after a player gets drafted and he plays his initial years, he becomes what's called a free agent. You familiar with this terminology? Which means... He's free to do what he wants. And his goal when he becomes a free agent isn't to play for no one. He doesn't go back to the softball league on Thursday nights. His goal is to play for a better team. He wants to play for better coaches. He wants to play with a better facility. And of course, the player wants a higher salary. In a similar way, when a Christian is freed from sin... We're not free to do nothing. But we're free to join God's team, if you will. We're free to serve a new, better master. But I want you to notice how we're set free. We're not set free because you are your own boss. Nor are you set free because you served your time. But look at verse, I believe it's 17. Thanks be to God. God is the one who frees us from slavery. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. Who releases prisoners? God releases prisoners. Now this term, thanks be to God, Paul uses actually pretty frequently. You can find it in chapter 7, verse 25, 1 Corinthians 15, 2 Corinthians 2. And it speaks of a reversal of desperate situations. When Paul says "Thanks be to God," he's saying, "God, you have reversed my desperate situation." And it's used in the same sense here. See, in the Roman colony, there was many slaves. They estimate that there was ten to thirty percent of all of Rome was slaves, and so there was a common practice of selling slaves. So what they would do is a slave master would take a pole, walk into the middle of a field, would put that pole up, and he would march his slaves into the field. There'd be maybe 10, 20 slaves standing there. And they would stand there stark naked with nothing but a piece of paper tied around their necks listing their attributes, what they're good at, what they can do. And other slave owners would come into that middle of the field and they would buy slaves and barter with the master to see what they can get. Paul says God walked into the auction block. And what was around our neck was Adam's sin. What was around our necks was our failure, shackled in disobedience, bound in rebellion, destined to a life of serving sin, but God reverses the situation by purchasing us. God sets prisoners free. And He doesn't purchase us with gold or silver. He doesn't purchase us with American dollars. These things could not redeem sinners such as us. We were bought with a price, but the payment demanded to set prisoners free was nothing less than the blood of the Son of God. You were ransomed, says Peter, from your futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. That of a lamb without blemish or spot. God has walked into the slave market and bought slaves with the blood of His Son. And His grace, Paul says, look at verse 17, goes all the way to the heart. Thanks be to God that you were once slaves who have become obedient from the heart. Means that he changes us when he buys us to the depths of who we are. Not so that we serve him, even though our hearts really aren't involved. Or we serve him because we have to or we're afraid of punishment. He saves us and he changes us. When you were freed by God, Paul says you were changed. Congregation, do you want freedom? Are you sick of sin? Sick of workaholism that neglects God and his righteousness? Are you sick of your anger that destroys your wife and your children? Are you sick of your sexuality that doesn't fulfill? Sick of your laziness? Sick of vanity and comparing yourselves to others? How do we get this gospel freedom? Paul says, thanks be to God that you have obedience from the heart, listen to this, to the standard of teaching to which you are committed. He's talking about the gospel. God is able to break the power of sin. He is able to set the prisoners free in the gospel of Jesus The Gospel is the teaching which was committed to them. Sin condemns. Sin destroys. Sin holds us in its sway. But those whom the Son sets free are free indeed. The Gospel has the power to change your heart. It has the power to change your minds. And I want to tell you, my friends, I've seen the Gospel change people. I have seen alcoholics repent and turn from their alcoholism and serve Jesus. I have seen men and women in anger turn from their anger and love one another and love their children. I have seen people go from children of hell to living in righteousness for Christ. God has the power to change us. If I were to sum up verses 14 to 23 here this morning, I think you could do it in one question. Why did God save you? Have you ever asked that question? Why does God save sinners? Let it be known that we are freed from slavery by God to serve God. Remember, God saved Egypt, or saved Israel from Egypt so that they could serve Him in the wilderness and serve Him in Canaan. Now this is different than cultural freedom. Cultural freedom says we are free to do whatever we want. But Paul's concept is startling to us. Again, I say the Christian is freed from sin to be enslaved again. Having been set free, Paul says, from sin, we have become slaves of righteousness. We are free to serve Him. For the believer, freedom does not mean laziness. We are not free to sin lustily. We are not free to sin wholeheartedly. But we are free to render service to God. And those who enter the service of righteousness, they enjoy true liberty, liberty from sin, liberty from Satan, liberty from death. In just a few moments, we'll sing the hymn, And Can It Be. And in the hymn it says these words, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin in nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with lights. My chains fell off. My heart was free. They are, we are liberated in Christ. And then listen to what Wesley says here. I rose, I went forth, and I followed Thee. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in Him is mine. Alive in Him, my living head. Amazing love. How can it be that Thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Saved to live for Him. To follow Him. To serve Him. Paul goes on. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness, leading to sanctification. He's saying, You've been given a new master. It was frequent in the ancient world that somebody would be transferred from one master to the other. You were totally committed to him. Now you're going to be totally committed to him. And that's what Paul is saying Christ has done for us. We have been released from sin to serve Jesus. But there's something totally different here. There's a totally new dynamic in our new service. Sin, as I said, is an evil, terrible taskmaster. And Jesus is a kind and loving master. The new dynamic is this. Sin threatens you and forces you to serve Him. Sin will beat you. Sin will hurt you. Sin will give you a tongue lashing. So if we come back to the original question of verse 15, what motivates us to serve God? And this is so profound. God does not motivate you to serve Him with beatings. God does not motivate you to serve Him with tongue lashings or brutality. He motivates us to serve Him with His love. Poured out on the cross for us. We serve Him because He loved us so much... That he was willing to die for a slave like me. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? So what is the motivation for holiness? God loves me. Satan tempts me with sin. Get behind me, Satan. God loves me. My children are struggling, struggling with sin. Don't do that. God loves you. Do you see the power here? How it arrests us. How could I sin against Him? For He loves me so. There's powerful application here. But third and finally, I want you just to notice the slaves' wages. See, in the ancient world, a slave was actually paid wages. So much so, if a slave wanted to save up their money, they could purchase their freedom from slavery if they wanted to. Before we conclude chapter 6, Paul wants us to consider the wages of being either a slave to sin or a slave to God. He says, for when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. There are two options. You can either be a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. You can't be neither, and you can't be both. No one can serve two masters. But look at the wages of sin. Paul says, But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Fruit here means benefit. What did you get out of it? I think this is a very pastoral moment here for Paul. It's like he's pulling up a chair in front of you, putting his arm around your shoulders, and saying, what good did you get from it? I want you to think of a sin you've struggled with in your life. What good did you get from it? Sure, maybe it brought pleasure for a moment. It may even brought a season of happiness upon your life. But Paul says, the chief fruit of sin is shame. When we do something we shouldn't do, we feel shame. When we say something we shouldn't say, look at something we shouldn't look at. We feel shamed, we turn inward. Shame leads to remorse, it leads to regret, but it doesn't lead to repentance. We turn inward. There's self-pity. There's victimhood. Blame shifting. That's what we get out of sin. Then Paul says, look what you get from righteousness. Verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin, and you have become slaves of God, the fruit, the benefit, you get from serving God leads to sanctification and to its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Now that word wages refers to your daily allowance, your stipend that you would get every day when you were a slave, when you were in the army. They gave you a stipend that you would give slaves stipends, wages, so to sustain their lives. Paul says sin doesn't sustain your life. Sin ends your life. It leads to death. Physical, spiritual, everlasting death. But when God is your master, we don't get what we deserve. We get a free gift. And the free gift is eternal life. This is the climax of Paul's argument. The comfort of the truth that the sinner who has fled to God in Christ for refuge receives the most for the least. You are given life everlasting for nothing. Sin brings death. God gives life. God does not pay wages because no man in his debtor. But the free gift is nothing less than eternal life. He's promising us that in Christ, you may have fellowship with God through Jesus Christ, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. You can have the love of God that transcends all understanding. He says you can have all of this and far more forever and ever and ever. When we will have been there for 10,000 years in the presence of God, not an hour will have been spent. We will not be one second closer to the end of eternal life. What a life it will be. Forever with the Lord. No tears, no pain, enjoying worship, the feasting of God, on the presence of God. We will be with Him forever. And ever. God, Paul is telling us when you become the slave of God, you become the Son of God. You are made like Jesus, brought into his house to be with him forever and ever. Hallelujah. So, who is your master? What controls you is Lord of your life. You belong to Him. Let Jesus dictate the full measure of your devotion. Yes, we still face temptations. Yes, we will still succumb to temptation on occasion. But you are a slave no more. You are liberated from sin to serve a new, a better, a perfect master. Amen. Let's pray. Merciful God, we give You thanks that You saw us fast bound in chains and sin. You came into that dungeon. You flew open the doors. You broke the power of sin. You purchased us with the very blood of Jesus. And You have given us new life. May we never take this life for granted. May we never be those who seek to have liberty to sin. But may we also not be those who let the law beat us up any longer and let sin rule us O heavenly father may we look to your love the love of Jesus and in him find motivation to serve you to love God and to love our neighbors we thank you for this in Christ's name amen